This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. Today, we are wrapping up a series of messages from Mark chapter 5, and then next Sunday is going to kind of be a bridge Sunday where we'll completely finish up Mark 5, and we'll launch into a a new series of messages that we're going to tackle after Easter. Uh, But Mark chapter 5, we've been exploring for the past seven or eight weeks uh, the story of this man who is tormented by evil spirits. He has no hope of freedom, no hope of life. He's been cut off from his friends and family. He's been kicked out of his town. They've tried everything to control the evil in him and nothing has worked. Then one day Jesus shows up. He changes everything for him. He helps him live a completely free life. And so we've asked the question as we've worked through this passage each week of what did that mean then and what does it mean now? And what we believe it means is Jesus still comes to set us free. And on Palm Sunday, we remember the day that Jesus rides into Jerusalem and he's hailed as the Messiah, the promised one of Israel, the one who comes to restore and renew God's kingdom. And even though Jesus didn't do it exactly the way the gathered crowd thought he would, he has come as our Messiah. He has come as our Savior. He has come as our Lord to set us completely and totally free from everything that holds us back. And what we'll see today is we kind of work our way into the the final few verses of Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20, is that when Jesus comes, he doesn't just set us free, but he comes to lead us into the perfect place for us right here, right now in our experience. Now, uh, just kind of, we all, we all might have our own ideas of what the perfect place might be. So think for yourself for a minute. How many of you would say your perfect place would be the mountains? Some of you? How many of you would say your perfect place would be the beach, right? How many of you would say your perfect place would be something not the mountains and not the beach? Anybody? All right. How many of you, your perfect place is mountains at the beach? That's me. Like I want to snow ski down one side and lay at the beach in the sun where it's 80 degrees on the other side. If you know where that is in the world, please tell me. Because uh, I need to buy some retirement property for the future, right? Uh, like that's just we all we all have our dreams. How many of you would say your your perfect place is in a city? A few of you. Your perfect place is in the country. Your perfect place is in the suburbs of Tulsa. There we go. All right, uh, and then then uh, two more for you. How many of you perfect place is warm climate year round? There you go. All right. So all of you people are about to get really happy in Tulsa. How many of you perfect places, a cold climate year round, year round, cold climate. Yeah, Josh grew up in Dubai. So he's like, that sounds awesome. I, our cold is 97 degrees. Uh, you know, so, so, so we got that. And then last one, how many of your perfect places where, you know, everybody knows you, you just got a lot of friends, a lot of family around. Okay. How many of your perfect places? Nobody knows you complete anonymity. <laughs> Nobody talks to you. Nobody looks at you. Nobody, right? So we all, we all kind of have our dreams and our thoughts of what our perfect place might be. This morning, what we're going to see in Mark chapter 5 is Jesus, when he comes to us, he doesn't just set us free, but he sets us on a new path. And his new path is always the perfect place for us, even if it doesn't necessarily seem like it right at the beginning. Okay, so Mark chapter 5, we'll read the whole story like we've done each week to make sure we're on the same page. Beginning in verse 1, Mark is speaking about Jesus and the disciples. He says, they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. 
No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people who had told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. This past Wednesday night, uh, Mike Bowie spoke in our Wednesday night Lent service, and he, he shared just this really incredible teaching on the gifts of the Spirit and how they work in our life and how we surrender to them. Uh, but at one point, he was reading through a, a passage, and he made the comment of, I only have about five minutes to get through this, and I'm not Pastor Chris because this would take him four months to get through these four verses. And I laughed because, I mean, you know, it's, it's either true or it's offensive. And so I decided it was true. And, uh, and so I, I laughed at it. But then it, it did. I laughed extra hard because I knew um, I was supposed to wrap up this Mark chapter 5 series today. And yet this week, as I read through that last verse, there were just five words that jumped out. And I thought, well, we have to stay here. And so this morning, we're going to spend all our time on so the man went away. All right, we were going to talk about how the people were amazed, and all. we'll get to that next week. But for today, just those five simple words, so the man went away. Now again, we're talking about the perfect place. The perfect place we desire is sometimes different than what Jesus desires for us. So, so let's just say for a moment, this balloon represents our perfect place, our perfect life, right? And, and just kind of every hope we have inflates it just a little bit more. So, so I want you to think about your perfect place. I'll tell you a little bit about mine. My perfect place is Tulsa, Oklahoma, at Christian Chapel, living in broken air with my family, with a few slight modifications, right? So, so my first modification is kind of out by Bristow there on I-44. That is now where the Rocky Mountains start. So we'll, we'll just go ahead and we'll add a home near the mountains. Now, it's, it's going to be close enough that I can drive out and ski in the morning and drive back and eat dinner at my home at night. Now, I love that, but I'm also going to add, uh, because my wife loves the beach, and so the Arkansas River is now going to become the Gulf of Tulsa, right? And, and so I don't know how it works, but somehow God rearranges it, and the Gulf of Mexico extends all the way up, and, and our house is suddenly 10 minutes from the beach. 
But in the Gulf of Tulsa, there are also no sharks. So you don't have to worry about that. There are no crowds either. Somehow in this magical city, close to the mountains, close to the beach, no one lives. Property values have stayed exactly the same. So I can still afford to live here. So so we'll add a little bit more there. And, and Tulsa, it's always been great, but now you can see it's clearly getting better. Now, in, in my new house that's close to the beach, that's a short drive to the mountains, it's also kind of out in the country. And out my back door, there's a couple hundred acres of pristine pheasant and quail hunting. And I know that's not really natural to this part of the, the state anymore, but it is where I live. And I've got two of the best Britneys that you've ever seen in your life. That's a bird dog, not a girl for some of you, right? Uh, and so two of the best ones, and we, we can hunt whenever we want. It's just roll out of bed. If the skiing isn't good, I'll go hunt. If the beach isn't good, I'll... it's just a great, wonderful thing. And so we got to add a little more air to Tulsa, and, and Tulsa's starting to look even better, and then, of course, it's my perfect place. So there's an announcement that the Kansas City Chiefs have now built a stadium in Tulsa. <laughs> they are playing four games a year right there, and they have gifted me with my choice of 50-yard line seats or box seats, depending on the weather. Because I want to watch them, but I don't want to be too hot or too cold. And so there is now... just a little bit more in Tulsa, and that's not the end of the good news. The Kansas Jayhawks have also said that they are coming in a shared agreement with ORU. They're now playing half of their home games and the majority of their Big 12 conference schedule in the Maybe Center and have invited me to hang out in the locker room before every game to sit behind the bench and to let Coach Self know I've got some ideas, right? And so it's just Tulsa is getting better and better by the minute. And you can add all of your other things to it. And if we had time, we could give you your balloons. Some of you, you might blow your balloon up. I mean, it might literally explode as you're trying to describe your perfect place. Because our perfect place often has so many things with it. It can be perfect relationships. It can be the perfect home. It can be the perfect job. Some of you have ran through this, this scenario in your school or at your work of, you know what would make this thing perfect is if this group of people would leave and this group of people would come in and I sat at the top of all of them and told everyone what to do, right? We all have our dreams of what perfect will be. Well, Mark chapter 5, this man is tormented by evil spirits. Right? And for a long time, his dream of perfect probably would have been if I could just find some peace in my mind and peace in my heart and live with my family and friends again, that would be perfect. Right? His bar of perfect was probably far lower than yours or mine might be because his life was such an absolute train wreck. He was tormented. His friends and family had tried to chain him up. He had broken free of the chains. The, the evil inside of him was so strong and powerful that he, he lived among the tombs, screaming night and day, cutting himself, looking for relief. He just, a night in his bed at home probably would have been perfect. And then when Jesus shows up and begins to set him free, as soon as he's free, he has a new idea of what his perfect place will be. Mark tells us, we looked at it in detail last week, that once he's free, he begged Jesus to go with him. His new idea of perfect is, Lord, I want to get in the boat and go with you. Uh, my friends and family, they have rejected you. They've asked you to leave. And so, Lord, I don't want to be here anymore. I want to leave and I want to go with you. And we can see why it seems perfect. It's a fresh start in a new place with a new identity where not everyone knows his backstory. And yet, when Jesus hears this request, he tells him, well, actually, 
you're going to go home. And you're going to tell other people all that the Lord has done for you. And this man experiences what you and I and really everyone who encounters Jesus at some point in life experiences, where we come to him ready to receive him as savior, but also with a pretty long list of, I'll follow you, but here's all the things I'm going to need you to do. I need you to fix all these relationships. I need you to make all these dreams come true. I need you to take care of all these problems. And Jesus, I have some pretty great plans for my future. I have some pretty awesome plans for my family. So if you could just kind of sprinkle a little blessing on all of those and let me go with you, that would be awesome. That would be wonderful. It's in effect what the man in Mark 5 is saying is, Jesus, I appreciate your freedom. And now I'd like to tell you what is next. What is next is I'm going to get in that boat with you and I'm going to become the 13th disciple and I'm going to do some amazing things with you. But Jesus tells him, no, go home. And in that moment, he experiences what you and I often experience, just that moment, right, where it's just everything you hoped for is just gone. And in that space, you're left wondering and you're left asking of, well, why exactly should I follow Jesus? This is the Palm Sunday question. The crowds welcome Jesus as the Savior, as the Messiah, but they welcome him with a certain expectation. And their expectation is Jesus has come and he's going to kick the Romans out. Jesus has come and he's going to restore the throne of David and we are going to rule and reign with him. Jesus has come and we're not going to have to pay those taxes anymore. We're not going to live under this oppression. They have this really perfect idea of why Jesus has come. And then by Friday, they see him hanging on the cross and everything explodes. You and I will find ourselves in the same spot at one point or another with our walk with Jesus. Where we expect him to do one thing. We hope he'll do something. And it's all designed to get us into our perfect place. But somewhere along the line, he makes it clear to us, I'm not just here to be your savior. I'm also your Lord. I've come not only to pull you out, but to set you on the path I have designed for you. And in that space, we have a choice of how we go away from Jesus. You see, when, when we encounter Jesus, everyone goes away from him. And those five words, I think, in, that we find here in Mark chapter 5 are really worth our consideration this morning. So the man went away. Every time we encounter Jesus, we go away from him. Right? He comes to reveal truth. He comes to reveal that he can break every chain that holds us captive. He comes to show us that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And after every one of those encounters, we go away. And we will go away either sad and disobedient or joyfully obedient to him. Mark, in Mark chapter 5, gives us the example of this man who's been set free as one who goes away obedient. But if you read a couple chapters later, there's another story of a man who comes to Jesus in Mark chapter 10, and we see here what it looks like to go away sad and disobedient. If you have a Bible, look with me at Mark chapter 10. We will start in verse 17. It says, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. 
Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go and sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Now, there's a a couple of similarities. I don't know if you picked up on them between the man in Mark 5 and the man in Mark 10. When they see Jesus, both of them run and fall on their knees in front of him. There is something in Jesus that both the the man possessed by evil spirits in Mark chapter 5 and the highly successful rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10, they both, both recognize there's something in him that's different that places him above me, and so I'm going to bow down before him. They come and they bow. They're apparently both controlled by strong spiritual forces. The man in Mark chapter 5 is aware of it, and the man in Mark chapter 10 is not. The man in Mark chapter 5 is possessed by an evil spirit that he knows he has no hope of defeating. The man in Mark chapter 10 is possessed by a love for his wealth that he doesn't even know he struggles with. Jesus busts both of their hopes for the future. In Mark chapter 5, all the man wants to do is get in the boat and follow him. And Jesus tells him, no, instead, go home. In Mark chapter 10, all the man wants is Jesus' blessing over all of his life. And instead, Jesus tells him, give up everything and come follow me. Both go away from Jesus after their encounter with him. In Mark chapter 5, it says, So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him. He goes away and is immediately obedient. In Mark chapter 10, it says, And the man went away sad because he had great wealth. And when you think about it, these really still are the two choices we have. Some will go away sad and some will go away obedient. When you think of this rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10, why does he go away sad? He goes away sad because he has a lot going for him, right? I mean, parents, if if you have a daughter or if you're a, a single woman, the rich young ruler is the guy you're praying for, right? He is, I mean, even in the, the subtitle in the scripture, rich young ruler says it all, Right? Uh, like, great. Yeah. So I, of course, who doesn't want to be, if, if you're praying prayers for your son, this sounds like a great answer to all of the prayers of Lord, make him rich, keep him young and help him rule. Like, it, it just, it's awesome. And then on top of that, he's a moral person, right? Cause he comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he's bowing before the Lord. This is a picture of, I mean, everyone in the crowd would have thought, man, look at this, look at this wonderful guy. He has wealth, he has youth, he has authority, he has everything we need, and yet he's coming and bowing before Jesus. And then Jesus lists off a a summary of the Old Testament law, honor your father and mother, don't commit adultery, don't defraud others, do all of these things. And this man clearly and honestly says, I've done all of these since my youth. I mean, again, as a parent, I mean, if that's my kid, it's, it's hard not to stand at the back and just be like, yes. Jesus, you are so lucky that my kid wants to be on your team. He's got every, I mean, he checks all the cultural boxes. He checks all the religious boxes. He is doing everything right. And yet it says Jesus looked at him and loved him. And because Jesus loved him, he was not willing to just rubber stamp his blessing and say, you know what, you're doing everything you should. Just go on back and keep doing it. 
But instead, Jesus models for us in Mark chapter 10 that he not only comes to set us free from the things that we know possess us, but he comes to set us free from the things that we don't even understand have a hold on our heart. And so the reason he tells the rich young ruler is, hey, go sell everything you have, give it to the poor and come and follow me, is not because Jesus has a problem with wealth. It's not because he has a problem with his people serving in positions of authority. It's because he sees these things have taken an unholy hold on this man's heart. It's not that Jesus doesn't think it's good to observe the law. He sees that this man's attempts at righteousness have turned into self-righteousness, and he's coming to justify himself before the Lord and before the gathered group to prove once and for all, I am the righteous one. See, even Jesus says so. And yet Jesus, I mean, the man comes to him. If, if he's got his balloon, he has blown up the balloon that everyone in the world wants. He has the life that, that we, many of us, are still striving for. And yet Jesus reaches out and he pops it and he says, why don't you just give it all away and come and follow me? And even still, when we read that, for some of us, we sympathize with the rich young ruler of, you know what, that seems like a big ask from Jesus. Does he really have to give everything away? Does he really? But what Jesus is is trying to tell him is this man is being given the opportunity that the man in Mark chapter five longs for. The man in Mark chapter 5, he's begging, Lord, please, I will leave everything. Just let me get in the boat. All I need is a clothes on my back. I'll go wherever you go. I'll do whatever you do. I'll eat whatever you eat. I'll sleep wherever you sleep. And Jesus tells him, no, go home. He pops that balloon. He puts another one in his hand and says, this is a plan for you. You're going to travel around this region of 10 cities and you're going to tell everyone what I've done for you. In Mark chapter 10, there's a man who comes holding on to all of his wealth, all of his privilege, all of his righteousness. And Jesus says, I'm going to pop that balloon, give it all up and come follow me. And that man decides like the crowd in Mark chapter five, when they come and they see the pigs in the water, that following Jesus is not worth the cost. And yet for you and I, we get the benefit of reading this, you know, 2,000 years down the road. And as we read through the scriptures, we know the names of Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. We know about Peter and James. We know about Paul and Thomas. And yet we never know the name of the rich young ruler. This man thought Jesus is asking far too much from me. But what Jesus was actually offering to him was a position of close discipleship where he would literally be part of changing the world. But he felt like his wealth, his youth, his authority, his righteousness would be better invested in the community where he had already built his reputation. See, when Jesus popped his balloon, it crushed him. Because he felt like this is, this is my whole life. This is what my parents prepared me for. This is what my culture celebrates. And now you're asking me to give all of that up? And we don't know the plans that Jesus had for him. Maybe he would have traveled with Paul on his missionary journeys. Maybe he would have sat next to Peter as they made decisions to guide the future of the early church. Maybe he would have went with Thomas to take the gospel all the way to India. Maybe he would have been with Philip as he shared the good news with the Ethiopian eunuch. We don't know what he could have done because he didn't do anything except go away sad. And there are times in life where we come to Jesus and we're saying, Lord, here's everything I've done. Will you please bless it and tell me I'm doing good and I can keep doing it. And sometimes he comes and he pops those balloons. And he says, hey, I know this is what you expected, but I actually have something better for you. 
And if you will surrender that to me and submit to my new plan, you're going to find a depth of meaning, a depth of joy. Follow me into this new career path. Follow me into these new relationships and friendships. Follow me into these new investments of time. Follow me into making this place where you're living your hometown. Follow me into investing yourself deeply and fully in these relationships. Follow me in telling the story of what the Lord has done for you. And in Mark chapter 10, the man, the saddest part of his story is he decided his story was more was better and, and worth more of his investment than the story of Jesus. He wanted to keep telling the story of his wealth, of his authority, of his power, of his righteousness. Instead of telling the story of the one who had saved him, who had changed him, who had called him out of this old way and into a new path. And so he goes away sad. And what we see in the scriptures and what many of us have experienced in our lives is when Jesus shows up with clear direction and we clearly disobey. When we go away sad, it usually keeps us on a path that's full of sadness and disappointment. Right? Because when Jesus comes to redirect you, it's not a suggestion, it's a command. It's not a, hey, I think this way might be a little bit better for you. It's, this is the way, walk in it. This is the path, stay on it. And he, he's not looking for negotiations with you and I, he's simply looking for our obedience. And so in Mark chapter 10, we, we see kind of the negative example. Everybody goes away. When you encounter Jesus, we all go away. And you can either go away sad and disobedient, or like the man in Mark chapter 10, you can go away obedient. And I, I just love that, that very simple phrase. So the man went away and began to tell everyone in the Decapolis all that the Lord had done for him. And it's a, it's a wonderful model for us of when Jesus shows up and gives commands, we don't kind of offer, uh, you know, well, how about if I counter with this? You said move here. How about this place? It's kind of like that, but nicer. Right? You said I should break up with this boyfriend or girlfriend. Um, how about if uh, I just take him to church instead? Right? You said that I should give this amount. How about if I give a slightly smaller amount first? Right? Jesus constantly is coming and calling us to do new things. But when he pops that balloon that you're holding on to, it's not to crush you. It's not to embarrass you. It's not to humiliate you. It is to open your hands up so you can receive the new thing he's trying to put in your hands. For the man in Mark chapter 5, it seems cruel when Jesus tells him, go home, until he goes home and begins to see the results of what God has done. He goes home and travels all over this region of 10 cities and begins to tell everyone what the Lord has done for him. And in doing so, he becomes the first missionary to Gentile people. Right? It's an amazing calling. Instead of just kind of tagging along with Jesus, he goes and begins to prepare the way for Jesus and for the arrival of the good news after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And when Jesus shows up in your life and you thought everything was going here and he says, no, actually, it's going to go here. And you respond in obedience. You can trust that the path of obedience is the path of blessing. It's a path where you experience the nearness of the Holy Spirit. It's a path where you experience the provision of the Father. It's a path where you experience the grace of Jesus. All of that comes in abundance. You don't have to know where the path ends. You can just know this is where Jesus had called me, and so this is what I'm going to do. He gave this man a really simple assignment. Just go home, start with your family and friends, and then begin to expand your circles. 
And so that's exactly what he does. He goes home, he tells his family, he tells his friends, he tells the story of his captivity, he tells the story of Jesus bringing freedom, he tells the story of wanting to go with Jesus but being sent home instead. And what we see is everywhere he goes and everywhere he tells his story, people are amazed by it. And what he thought he had to go with Jesus to do, he now is seeing Jesus do for him and through him in the places where he used to live and used to travel and used to have relationships. And and so it's really an encouragement to us that you and I still can find our perfect place today. And finding our perfect place is is really very simple. It doesn't require a a two-year plan or a five-year plan. It doesn't require a 10-year plan. It doesn't require that you be able to articulate to everyone, here's what I'm doing today, and here's how it'll pay off tomorrow. Your perfect place is the place where Jesus is calling you today. The perfect things for you to do are the things that Jesus is calling you to do today. And if you struggle and think, well, I don't know what he's calling me to do today, then just go back to the last thing Jesus revealed to you and keep doing that until he gives you something else to do. As far as we know, this man in Mark chapter 5 spent the rest of his life traveling around that area telling his story about what Jesus had done. It's likely at some point along the way he began to hear the stories from Jerusalem. It's possible he heard the stories of how Jesus rode in on Palm Sunday with like the triumphal entry of a king. And as those stories began to filter back to his communities and people began to whisper, what is going on there? What do you think it means? Every time this man would have said, I'll tell you who that man is. And I'll tell you what he did for me. As he heard the stories of the crucifixion and the resurrection. As the gospel began to spread from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. As new followers of Jesus began to come back to the region of the Decapolis. And began to travel through and establish churches and tell people. I mean there were so many people who would have said we've heard about Jesus from this man. He's told us about what he did and how he saved him and how he delivered him. And now you're telling us this brand new story. What had he done? He had spent his whole life preparing the ground for those who would come after him with the good news of Jesus. And whatever Jesus calls you to do, that's what he's calling. I mean, this is the core of what it is. Whatever your job is, whatever your family situation is, if you're a student, if you're an adult, if you're living where you want or not, none of that matters. Where God has called you is where he wants you to tell your story, to point other people to him, and you are part of softening that ground in their hearts so that one day they too will have the same experience of Jesus. And so your perfect place and my perfect place, it's not about are all the, the, the boxes on my dream list checked. It's not about are the mountains close by or is the beach close enough for a day trip. It's, it's not about do my best friends live next door and is my family in the same city. It's only about is this where Jesus has called me to be? And is this what Jesus has called me to do? And for as long as that answer is yes, then your heart should be at peace. You are in the perfect place. And it doesn't matter if you get the promotion. It doesn't matter if others recognize you or know your name. All that matters is that you are joyfully obedient in the place and among the people where God has planted you. When we encounter Jesus, we all go away. My prayer for you, my prayer for me, my prayer for my friends and family, for every person at Christian Chapel, is that we will be people who go away obedient that we will be people who hear the voice of the Lord and do what he says. We stand with me. I want to pray with you this morning.
The band's gonna come back and they'll lead us in a final song. We bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Lord, we come today and we are thankful that you are not just the God who saves, but you are the God who leads and guides. And so Jesus, we pause in this moment and we invite you. We give you freedom, Lord, to disrupt our lives. You see our plans, you see our hopes and our dreams for the future. And Lord, we're asking you to come into the middle of all of those. And Lord, if this is a path you have for us, we pray in this moment and in the coming days that you will confirm it to us. And if it's not, Lord, we want to stand with open hands before you, letting you lead us and guide us and letting you reveal the path that you've created for us. And Jesus, we pray that when we encounter you, we will go away obedient. We will go away joyful. We will go away humbled that the God of the universe has loved us enough to craft a plan and a purpose for our life. We will thank you that you are not just our Savior, but you are our Lord and our King. So Lord, we submit to your authority. We lay down all of our preferences and all of our requests. We lay down all of our plans for our future, for the future of our family and our friends. And we simply pray, will your kingdom come and your will be done. Jesus, we believe it's possible. In your name we pray. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.